The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our DC. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. I'm raring to go. It's a Monday morning. Is it a Monday morning, Rich? Yes, it is. Oh, by the way, say hello to my guest, Attorney Rich Jones. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you. Pretty good for a Monday, I think. (laughs) Rich is a partner with the law firm of Sullivan and Worcester. We're going to hear stuff about what um, he does over there. Why not all tax lawyers are boring because Rich isn't. So you're, you're, you're representing the entire group of tax lawyers who for years have been put down, Rich, accused of being boring. Uh, we are usually the biggest hit at cocktail parties. See, there you go. There you go. I like it. All right. So we're going to get into that. Rich is going to tell us also, about, he's, got, he's got a movie recommendation for us, which is cool because I haven't seen this movie. And if you dig music, this movie apparently is one you should see. And we'll get into some other fun stuff as well with Rich Jones from Sullivan and Worcester. First, I need to tell you about our sponsor, the U.S. Postal Service, second largest employer in the nation, by the way. They're hiring for the holiday season. 18 bucks an hour for seasonal work all the way through January 3rd of 2020. Please apply at usps.com slash careers. For further information, you can email greaterbostonhiring at usps.gov with any questions. Come join the U.S. Postal Service and make some extra money for the holiday season. The U.S. Postal Service deliver for the nation. I got some mail today. So thank you, U.S. Postal Service. And a matter of fact, one of my clients paid me today. So, very good. you know, I mean, the U.S. Postal Service, it works better than... Yeah, thank you. I know. It's awesome. All right. So as we do with our... Uh, I was about to say contestants. Um, I should have said victims, really. Okay. Our guests on the show... We locked them in the Boston vault and asked them questions about our fair city. And so Rich is being applied the shackles right now. The vault door is swinging open. There we go. And who knows what secrets will be revealed in the vault. Okay, enough vault. All right, you grew up in Lemonster, Mass. I did. Um, how would you characterize the personality of Lemonster? Is that, is that a, a tough question or... Uh, it, it is a tough question because, well, it, I, actually, it's easier now that I haven't lived there in uh, about twenty years. Yep. Um, but you know, it's it's mostly uh, Catholic, Irish, Italians, mm-hmm. um, mostly working class, uh, good people, yeah. good football teams. Right. Okay. That's... It's a. It's really. It's an old mill town, is what it is. And when the mills closed down, and Foster Grant was the leading industry there. Right. Um, and that was a factory as opposed to a mill and that a lot of pl- plastic companies there. Um, there needed to be another source of revenue. And like a lot of towns, I don't think they found that center of industry. There's the mall that seems to be the chief employer. In yeah, town. yeah. So it's um, different than it used to be when you were growing up. Is that what you're telling me? Like it was more of a commercial hub or... Um, I'm not sure how different it is, yeah. uh, but it was, you know, historically there was the center of the plastics industry in Foster Grant, so mm. that's not there now. Plastics, yeah. Dustin Hoffman would tell you it's the key to life. Right? That's right. Yeah, so um, 
you were unaware that of the paranormal activity in Lemonster, Mass, which I just told you about, which I only know about because we produced this podcast called Monsterland. Shout out to Maddie Blake and Ronnie LeBlanc who are on their way in today to record their show. But there's been an unusual amount of paranormal activity, and maybe it traces back to the day you left Lemonster. Mm-hmm. Maybe you still haunt Lemonster. It, it, it could be. I will tell you that is news to me. <laughs> right, and you hadn't heard it, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and and if it, if it coincided with my departure, yeah. then you know maybe I'm the Bruce Willis of <laughs> Lemonster from the Sixth Sense. I'm the only yes. one that doesn't realize. Yes, you see Lemonster people. Yes. All right. Do you have a favorite actor or comedian who hails from Boston? Um, I, I guess uh, the Matt Damon. You're more of a Damon or an Affleck guy? I I think they're both really good actors. I guess I like Matt Damon's movies more. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although, did you see Argo? Affleck. I loved the, Argo. It, that was good. It was, it, it was surprising. Because yeah. Affleck had gotten kind of lazy and like, I'm a good-looking Hollywood guy and all that. Um, he had a string of some lousy movies. He really did. Pearl Harbor and, and uh, there was... The one with J-Lo, G- Giggly or whatever. Geely, right. Geely, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There have been fewer missteps with Matt Damon. I've yeah, I agree. His career. He yeah. makes good choices. Yeah. I like the I like the funny, charming Matt Damon, like in um, Ocean's Eleven. Or I mean, he's pretty good in this one I just saw, Ford versus Ferrari. Have you seen that yet? Ford versus Ferrari. Seen it, yeah, no. it's good. He, he he puts on his southern accent, and it's mostly convincing. Um, but I like him. I think he's very comfortable with his fame. I like him as a represent uh, representation of of uh, all things good Boston. You can is put. He- He's a pretty ambitious guy, too. I think one of the, his earliest movies was um, Courage Under Fire, and yep. he, he lost like 60 or 70 pounds playing a drug addict. By the end of it, it was with um, Meg Ryan. Yeah. And it was a war film. And he was about to quit because no one noticed the work he put into that, and he looked really emaciated by the end of that. I did not see that one. Perhaps I need to go back and complete the, the Matt Damon um, catalog. Uh, should there be a sequel to Goodwill Hunting? No. Why not? I, Leave think, it alone? Yeah, I, th- I, I would say that for most movies. I mean, The Godfather is a great exception. But yep. um, uh, if you make a good movie, think of a new idea. Make a new film. Yeah. If they had to make a remake of Good Will Hunting, you could do it. Because, I mean, it would be interesting to see what happened to Will. Because Will is a genius who, if we believe precisely what happens at the end of the film, he goes off to see... Mini driver apparently turning his back on a lucrative career in what code breaking or whatever it was, right? So, um, and then so he could be out there and then somehow be called upon to use his you know talents in a different way wherever she is. Of course, she, Robin Williams he could he would only appear. Well, no, you know what? We could have Robin Williams now because of the CGI business. You just just the deep fake stuff. Just put his face onto some dude's body and uh, there you go. That would be uncomfortable. <laughs> um, what was your growing up? Did you, did you did you ever go to ice cream place as a kid? It's, it's always a, I like the question because it fond memories of uh, you know ice cream and sprinkles or Jimmy's. So I was uh, I was the youngest, and all the, my older brothers and sisters had moved out, so it was just me and my parents. And the one thing I remember doing with them once a week is they would take me out for ice cream. So nice. that was a great question. There mm. would be dairy farms that popped up, and. Mm. I can't remember the names of them. I remember where they are, and there would be these stands. And it was, um, it was kind of like the, um, you know, the fond memories I have of my, of yeah. my parents. What was your go-to order? Favorite flavor? <laughs> Vanilla? Uh, to, to my wife's chagrin, <laughs> it, is, it was the same then as it is now, and that's chocolate chip. 
Chocolate chip. It okay. works. I don't really. You don't need the dough in. To vary it. And you don't need the dough in there either. You know, no. chocolate chip cookie dough guy. I'm fine with that. All right. My my go to growing up was black raspberry, but I think I was just doing it to be different because you know most people like chocolate and. I didn't like chocolate ice cream. I've, I've sort of come to appreciate it a little more in later years, but it was, I felt like I was, um, you know, somehow different and weird than the other kids because I didn't have a taste for chocolate ice cream. Anyway, but chocolate chip is always solid. That's been around forever. I like the fact that the ice cream stands don't seem to be going away in, in New England. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, it's like bagel shops come and go, right? And, and, um, and certainly restaurants come and go and... You still see like there's 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 you drive around suburban mass and there's there's one within you know five square miles usually right. I'm amazed that if you go elsewhere in the country, ice cream is not as popular yeah. and you don't have as many stands and people don't eat as much of it. I think I've read I don't know if this is true that people eat more ice cream in New England than anywhere else. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I read that it, it seems like it was a long time ago that stat came out. I don't know if it still exists. Maybe we could look it up. But right per capita yeah. largest intake, which is really weird considering what are people still eating during the winter? And I guess the answer is yes, why not, right? And what I don't get is, you know, what's wrong with everyone outside New England? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Eat more ice cream, man. Life, life is short. All right. Um, uh, mm, mm, one more question, then we'll let you out of the vault. If you're, if you're, you're hosting a guest uh, from out of town and, you know, they come into Boston and I know you work downtown, Rich, uh, is there something you recommend that they shouldn't miss, which could be anything from a site, a, an attraction, a restaurant, or anything of the sort? Well, um, I, I should be a little embarrassed to say this, but we had some friends come in a few years ago, and it's the um, classic tourist thing, which is the duck tour. Yep. And they said they wanted to go. We said we'd go with them, mm -hmm. and I loved it. Yeah. It, it, it was terrific. Well, it's one of those weird things that we, if you live around here, grow up around here, you see the duck boats, and it's like, this, the stupid tourists, right? But you sh everyone should do it once. Yeah. I think I've done it once, maybe. I, th I held out for many years. I think I might have gone with my son. I definitely have done the one in Philly, which is weird because we're in Philly and we were kind of tourists that day. But for years and years, I never did it. And like, why not? It's fun. It, it's it's such a bizarre. Uh, I mean, the business idea, it, the fact that he, whoever the dude is, pulled that off is pretty remarkable, right? Absolutely. I remember reading, he, he said, you have no idea how many permits I had to get to, to, to drive this. Those things are so solid, too. Like, it, I hope they don't get into too many car accidents because they would just lay waste. To, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And bicycles, too. Right? Oh, my God. Yes, the poor bicycle. Let's not forget about the bicycle. All right, you have acquitted yourself well, Rich Jones. You, we're releasing you from the Boston Vault. I like that in here, but thank you. <laughs> Rich Jones at uh, Sullivan and Worcester is the name of the law firm. If you want more info on the firm, go to SullivanLaw.com. And Rich can be reached directly at rjones at SullivanLaw.com. Um, what's it like going through life with a name like Jones that you never have to spell three times, like my stupid name, which is only three letters, but constantly misspelled? I bet it is. Do you like being Jones? I, I do. I like being Jones. Um, one time, the cable company, when I was living in New York, had to send me a letter and they spelled my first name and my last name wrong, and I thought that was impressive. <laughs> how do you misspell? How do you misspell either one of your names? It was it was amazing. I, I really should have documented it. Um, no, I I've liked being a Jones. It causes a lot of confusion because right. my uh, my name's Jones. My wife's name is Kramer. I am Jewish. My family is, and hers was not. Um, oh, that's that's role reversal. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and there must be a lot of 
I, I say it like a like a joke, like it must be nice having such a name that no one misspells, but there must be a lot of Rich Jones. Like there must be other attorney Richard Joneses, no? Well, you ever um, get mail from a, for the wrong the, Richard Jones? Well, one time uh, I had practiced in New York and I moved back here and there was an investigator for uh, lawyer misconduct mm-hmm. who uh, tracked me down for some serious violations from some other Richard Jones. Oh. <laughs> And I had to convince him I wasn't that guy. It wasn't the stuff I had God, done. God, that's like, that's like the the kind of tame version of the movie Terminator when the guy's going back killing killing all the people named Sarah Connor. Like they came looking for you because your name was, Are you Rich Jones. We gotta we gotta have a conversation right here. Um, and it didn't matter to that guy whether it was the right one. Right, or the wrong one. right. He's got himself a Rich Jones. I take it you sorted that out. I did. Okay. I did. <laughs> So you're the leader of the tax group at Sullivan and Worcester, um, fine firm. I've been to many meetings there. Um, tell us what you do. Tell us how you, you help people. Sure. You've got 17 seconds. Ready? Go. No, I'm just I'm, Go ahead, I, So I'm a tax lawyer, but what I focus on mostly is state tax issues. And more specifically, I am a litigator. I started out as a litigator outside the tax world. So I do battle with state departments of revenue, mostly in Massachusetts, Uh, There are a lot of issues that come up, whether it's personal income tax or business taxes like sales and use. States can be aggressive. Um, There's a lot of confusion. The law is unsettled, and you have 50 states with 50 different rules. So if you have a business doing uh, activities in all 50 states, how much of that income does each state get to tax? A lot of areas for controversy. And so I will handle, whether it's the audit or the administrative appeals and more often in litigation, uh, to try to get the right result. Right. Um, memorable cases. Uh, uh, I mean, give me some examples of what kind of uh, floats your boat professionally. Like, is it when there's a very tricky issue to, to decide? Is it when someone's in a jam that you know you can sort out for them? Uh, actually, both. Yeah. Um, I was going to say just each of those examples. I, I do enjoy the complex cases. Um, one was a case that went to the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts, and that was Onyx Communications. And that one's a little more approachable because it wasn't um, deep in the tax weeds. The question was really whether this company qualified as a manufacturing corporation. Mm -hmm. And that's not the Dickensian definition that we might think of of assembly lines for manufacturing corporations. Massachusetts for 70 years has done a lot to encourage manufacturers to locate here and in doing that the idea was to bring in innovation and industry and so the definition is broad and it's not what we think so uh it it extends to people who are only doing part of the manufacturing process it extends to software companies Mm. um, who don't have anything tangible that they put out and in the case that went to the sjc because the states are fighting for revenue they they opposed it and they argued that my company, Onyx Communications, couldn't be a manufacturer because by the time they got the benefits, there's a lot of incentives. That's why you want to be a manufacturer in Massachusetts, tax mm-hmm. incentives. Um, by that time, they hadn't actually made a product. They just came up with the idea and the blueprint for it. And they said, we can't give you benefits until you actually start putting something out. So I, this is, uh, let me make sure I get this straight. So Onyx wants to say, they, they say they want the tax break because Massachusetts created this mm-hmm. tax break for so-called manufacturers. And the feds are saying... No, you can't 
do that because you're not. But it, is that that sounds like it's the feds interpreting the Massachusetts law. It was it was Massachusetts Department of Revenue yeah. opposing. So it was, it was the Massachusetts Tax Authority, and they were saying for one thing, they said we're not going to give you manufacturing classification oh, because you are in our research and development company and you're not manufacturing. Our argument is you can be both at the same time. Um, and then the other. All right, I'm slow. You said that. You said the state wants the revenue. It's, yes. their, it's in their interest to tax more, needless to say. Yeah, That's and exactly. not give you the break. Okay, correct. Yep. correct, correct. They, they also tried to do this thing where they called it a, well, I called it a finished product limitation. They attempted to impose a new rule, a new restriction um, that should be applied. And uh, fortunately, the SJC did not adopt that rule. And they also. Um, they also validated that, you know, you can be a startup company. If the Department of Revenue had their way and won that case, the effect would be that no startup company that is working to develop a product that they will manufacture could ever qualify. And so only after you've succeeded uh, would you get the benefits, which would really work against the whole incentive process. So did you win? We won. Okay. So yeah. you, so a more expansive definition of manufacturer came out of that? Correct. Would that include manufacturing podcasts? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know what? You could be manufacturing. Um, I could hire a, you. Have you made a salad before? That, uh, could, that could be manufacturing. <laughs> yes, I've made a salad. No, no shakes? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of half joking when I ask the question, but I, I wonder if that, that would be the subject of a debate because here at pod617.com, we produce podcasts, but they aren't anything you can touch, um, but you can hear them. We certainly produce a thing. I, so, wonder, I don't know. Yeah. So here's what manufacturing is. You have to take raw and unfinished materials, and it can even be your thoughts and yep. ideas of the mind, and create it and turn it into something with a new name, new nature, and new use. Oh, so we could qualify. All right. We've Thank you. Just save me some money today, Rich. <laughs> Maybe, right? Where's that sound effect? Thank you. All right. Um, so good stuff. And again, Rich is over at selvinlaw.com. And uh, it's rjones at sullivanlaw.com. We have a, a couple other fun things to do on the other side. Um, I do need to remind you again about the U.S. Postal Service, second largest employer in the nation, offering pay training and ways to move up. Apply today, usps.com slash careers. And also a shout out to our friends at Adori. That's our podcast partner. If you're listening to this podcast on the Adori app, thank you. If you're not, go download it because it's fun. Go to the App Store, look for Adori, A-D-O-R-I, which is a, an anagram for radio, by the way. And your podcast will come to life. You see images on, right on, there on your phone. You could see a picture of Rich Jones uh, smiling at you and giving you the thumbs up, which a photo we'll take uh, later. It's kind of <laughs> cool because it's like you can say, it's, I always say there's a scene in Bill and Ted where the, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure where they're traveling through time and he does this thing where he needs to find his dad's keys. And he's like, well, I know what we'll do. And we'll go back in time and put it here and then it'll just be here. And then he goes, and look, there it is. So all you have to do is say it. So if I say, you know, right now, a picture of, you know, um, a corned beef sandwich. Now there's a picture of a corned beef sandwich right on your phone. Isn't there, kids? I mean, That's, we're talking to the people in the future. That's what's, You just what have podcast. to remember. Yes. You have to trust your memory that in the future you've got to do it. And I put know. It in that I have spot. to remember to put in the corned That's beef sandwich. That's where I would fall off. Although the Adori app, and um, I keep shilling for them, but we're, they're good partners of ours. But... Um, what it does is it creates a transcript of this podcast. So after I upload this podcast, a transcript will appear. From there, they have an algorithm that tries to find, you know, names. So it could be that the corned beef sandwich comes up on its own. Now, it is up to us to reject or accept. And sometimes I'll say something like, 
I was doing a podcast with my friend, Mike Wolf, and, you know, I mentioned his name, and then the picture of the Mike Wolf who wrote that Trump book comes up, and it's like, well, nope, that's not the right Mike Wolf. I got to take him out. Anyway, there you go. Thanks, Adore. Go download it, kids, and listen to your podcasts on, you can listen to all podcasts on there, but certain ones like this will come to life with links and photos and other cool stuff. Um, so do you still, um, I'll ask you one more question about the tax law stuff, sure. and then we'll get on to fun stuff, but do you enjoy what you do, and tell me why? You know, I really do. Um it's the complexity is fun in sorting out the the puzzles and getting to the right answer. I've always enjoyed uh, the battle, and um, sometimes you really can get in a case that you know when you are part of bringing out the right answer. And even in the tax context, you can do this in other areas too. Um, it's a, it's a very good feeling. Um, I recently had an innocent spouse case. And this is where... Wait, uh, say that again, innocent spouse? Innocent spouse. So There is no such thing. No, to tell <laughs> us what that means. Tell us for non-lawyers and people like me who are lawyers, but forget. So you have uh, a married couple files a joint return. When you do that, each partner is uh, jointly severally liable for all of the liabilities associated with that return. Right. A husband um, had a business that he used to fraud and... Uh, defraud and swindle his investors. And he converted those funds and kind of a mini Bernie Madoff scheme. Right. Wife, wife was not aware. Um, he uh, gets uncovered. Feds track him down. He ends up in jail. Um, and the state of Massachusetts said, well, you know, looks like this person converted millions of dollars from investors' funds. That's taxable income. Right. We're going to assess the return. We're going to assess the, uh, the couple. Mm-hmm. for the years in which they were married. She's no longer married to him, uh, but she's on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax liability. Um, you have to prove that this wasn't me, this was all my spouse or my ex-spouse, and I shouldn't be held accountable. And that is not an easy process, and it's, it's certainly um, a lot of uh, investigations go into that, and the burden of proof is on that innocent spouse. Uh, we we did come up with a good result for this recent uh, person, and that was just, um, if it was the right result, but it wasn't an easy one to get, and so it's satisfying to um, be a part of um, getting to the right answer for somebody who yeah, might not have been able to do that on their own. Sounds like justice was served. That must be a harrowing thing to find out that your spouse is doing all kinds of terrible things. But do you actually have to prove that, does the issue come typically come down to what, what they knew? Like, if the, if... The wife had known about the scheme. I take it she is complicit, right? She is. So it, 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 it's an important factor what the wife knew and, and what they did at that point in time. Um, in this case, it was she, she didn't know. She wasn't aware of it. And right. sometimes it's just did you benefit in the lifestyle as a result of right, right, that right. person's um, uh, fraud? So there's, there's lots of ways for it to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, I'm glad that innocent spouse remains innocent and uh, unblemished from that. Um, Me too. All right, <laughs> and all you innocent spouses out there, whoever you are, um, we're going to play a game called Good Stuff. Rich has an awesome recommendation on a movie that I'm very interested to hear. So let's, uh, let's go right into that. Oh, that's the good stuff. Right. We were talking about Robin Williams and... Goodwill Hunting earlier, that was him. Did you notice that? I did not and he know. said, "Oh, that's the good stuff." Yeah, it's the line where he's talking about oh. his wife 
the farting, farting and sleep and right. The peccadillos, the, yeah. yeah. So, um, the movie that, uh, you're going to tell us about is called blinded by the light. And, um, did you see this recently? It's been out a little while, right? So it was in the theaters, uh, some months ago. It might've been six months ago when I saw it. Right. And, um, good. Uh, So I, I loved it and it helps that I'm a very big Bruce Springsteen fan. Sure. This movie is kind of a love letter to Bruce, and it was um, based on a, a book that someone wrote. And so it's this 16, 17-year-old boy in this small town in England. Mm-hmm. Him, he's, um, uh, he's Indian. He's Indian. Is that right? right? Yeah. That's right. And he is um, certainly persecuted and uh, downtrodden. And, and, and he, someone introduces him to Springsteen. And he gets into the albums. And it wasn't just like they show him listening. But the reason I'm such a big fan Mm -hmm. is because around the same time, I got into Springsteen. And the words were so powerful. At that age? At that age. So in your, uh, we're talking 20s? Sorry, I missed how old the dude was. 17. Oh, 17. Okay. Let's take a quick look at the trailer for uh, Blinded by the Light. Oh, look at that. You can do that right here. Oh, yeah. You got it. Still coming to my party tonight? Yeah, of course. Emma's mates are coming, and I know one who would be perfect for you. She's not fussy. Really? First day, start at the top and stay there. Stay away from the girls! <laughs> I want Just to that. be a writer, but my family is stuck in another century. Writing isn't a job. I need you to do more. Make a wish, better. Kiss a girl and get out of this dump. So there's bullies spitting on him. the direct line to all this true in this shitty world. Seriously, what does he know about our world? Mm, what does he know? Yeah. You should be listening to our music before you start getting confused and hating yourself. So... I'm going to guess that a lot of Bruce's words, while, re- while written about the hardscrabble streets somewhere in Asbury Park, New Jersey, I guess, that it, it applies and, and he, the, this young man finds that um, Bruce is the way or whatever. Yeah, he, there's a line in there where he says, you know, I just never knew music could be like this. I never knew right. I could feel this way from music. And it, it just gave him, you know, a connection. Um, a voice to um, defiance and, and right. fighting back, and um, the things that you see around you are wrong. And here's here's a, a, a way to fire back at that. And what I loved about this movie was, listen, this is an overwrought love letter, and so it's perfect for me. It may not be perfect for everybody. The when words, you say overwrought, it's 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 kind of laid on the viewer thick. You mean like yes, okay, yeah. Sure. I mean the the, but what what I really loved is you know the words of the songs like Badlands. Yep. The, gave meaning to me there you don't just hear them in the movie they they splayed splashed across the screen you oh, can so that wasn't that wasn't distinct to the trailer so no. when we as we we're watching the trailer some these bruce lyrics came up like on a wall behind where the dude was standing or like kind of just floating in the air yeah. uh, okay so it's so it's um yeah so that's a <laughs> that's a trick and, that's a thing that they do that's cool yeah. and, and you get the full song you know from beginning to oh, end. really you don't okay. just get snippets i mean it's really about the music it, yeah. it, and um so he yeah he, he says that line about you know the meaning and 
And I felt like, geez, that's a 17-year-old kid in England saying this. And I felt like that was a 17-year-old kid in Lumberton, Massachusetts. Right. And he's saying the same thing around the same time. I was the same age in 1987 uh, when it was set. Yeah. Um, I like it. Blinded by the light. I imagine it's, is it already streaming somewhere, I wonder? I do not know. Yeah. I don't think it is yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it's still in th- theaters, go see it. If not, I'm sure it'll be, um, it'll be coming your way. You know, on Netflix or some such thing. Oh, wait a minute. Did I say Netflix? When I say Netflix, I am obligated to play the Netflix sound. Not really. But um, so I will for my good stuff, I will mention um, a show that is is not new. It's old, but I just got into it and um, it's called The Crown. And if you don't know, um, it's uh, it's about Queen Elizabeth, basically her life going back to when she was just a a young tot. And um, it, it's cool because, uh, well, let me, I'll play the trailer here. And, Rich, you're not going to see this one. It's only on my computer, sorry, but uh, here we go. Do you suppose I might borrow it for a couple of days just to practice? Borrow it, ma'am? From whom? If it's not yours, whose is it? So you can guess they're talking Big about smiles. a crown. Your uncle has let us all down. He has put pleasure before duty. Brother has indeed turned against brother. The best thing for everyone would be if you said your goodbyes quietly, privately, and disappeared into the night. To think you turned all that down. That chance to be a god. I turned it down for something greater still. For love. So, the the main sort of story arc of season one is that the the king is so the king we're referring to is king oh, i'm terrible i don't know i guess king richard I, I should know that i'm sorry but the the king portrayed here is elizabeth's dad so when when this is not a spoiler because it's uh it's british history right so when he passes away we get elizabeth who as we all know continues to be the queen today so it's kind of cool for people of our generation to like I don't have memories of like paying attention to the queen when we were kids, but I know it's the same queen for a while. It was kind of like Fidel Castro was always the guy in Cuba. And and, it was, and you had to ask yourself, is he still alive? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Of course he isn't anymore, but, uh, but queen Elizabeth is. And so what had happened was the, the King's brother was the rightful heir to the throne. And before he even reached the coronation stage, he abdicated the throne. Why? Because he, as you heard in the clip, he's in love with, a woman who is a divor- divorcee. This becomes a huge issue in the in the movie. Is by the rules of the crown, if you marry someone that has been divorced previously, you are persona non grata. <laughs> you know, you, you you basically have to leave the country, which is what the guy does. So, and he remains a character in the in the in the show. And you know, again, it follows real life. And then the bonus on top of everything is John Lithgow plays um, Winston Churchill. And it's just remarkable. Um, and this is Churchill in his, his later days. So he's, he's particularly very, very, very British and a little bit overweight and a little bit angry at the world, you know. And um, he just nails it. And so I'm just discovering the show now. If, if, if you're a, a guy like me and you said to yourself, the crown, pff, ugh, Downton Abbey, and pff, it seems way too British and haughty and not so much fun. Um it's it's great. It is great. So you haven't you haven't heard of this? I have. I've heard of it. I have not seen it. And um, like, do you have any conception of? And there's no right answer to this of of how the the royal family works and the rules and all that stuff. Does that interest you at all? Or I 
I have no conception of it. Yeah. It is, it is <laughs> not one of the yeah. things I've pursued, but I've seen some movies that I thought were very good and very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, the King speech was one. I don't know if you caught that I one. Did. That was yes. uh, a few years ago about the Kings who famously had a, a stutter, and that's depicted in the show as well. And the dude who plays the King in The Crown is the same dude who's been in Mad Men, and he's been in Chernobyl, and he's this awesome British actor, and uh, he's so awesome that I really should look up his name. Did you catch Chernobyl? I did no, not. No, that's yeah. another must-see. Okay. It's, um, it's a little hard to watch at yeah. times for obvious yeah. reasons, but really, really well done. And Very the guy's fine. name is Jared Harris, by the way. And so if you if you... If you're fans of the, he's just he's cropping up in all these great shows. That's why it's great. Like the, they call this what the second golden age of television, and for for usually if you moved from show to show, you were like you know, Scott Bayo or Ted McGinley or something back in the back in the day. You know, you were you were you weren't necessarily a, a great actor or like uh, jump the shark actors. Yeah, jump the shark after actors. After the show's gone, Ted McGinley would uh, he would, would come in and, yeah. and basically kill it, right? Yeah. But or or like the modern day examples are like Jim Belushi or Tim Allen. Like I have no idea what terrible show they're in now, but but then you got this guy who's in Mad Men and someone spots him and then he's the lead guy in Chernobyl and he's in The Crown. He's awesome. Okay. Well, shout out to you, British people. So, Rich Jones, I hope you had fun on the show. Did you? Absolutely. Hey, can I give one other recommendation? Please do. You yeah. didn't ask Go for it. But it, um, it was just thinking when you were talking about TV. Um, I, there's a show on Netflix I really love. It's Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. It's called The Kaminsky Method. And it is, it is just fantastic. It, you know, what, I, what surprised me is some of the Netflix shows look really great for a couple episodes and fall off. But yeah. these two guys... Um, of playing people that have known each other for 40, 50 years and they get on each other's nerves, but they're really good friends. Mm. And, you know, it really feels that way. They feel like the, the, the old timers my father was friends with and, and how they interact and yeah. yell at each other and help each other. And it's very, very funny. Yeah. Um, I caught like part of one episode and then it's a weird thing with binging shows because it's, it, it, we, we've, we get to the point, you get to the point where, um, and this joke had been made like when, cable tv exploded the running joke was yeah there are 300 channels and nothing's on right and the netflix it's a song. It, oh is that right 57 channels see it on. all comes back to get it mm -hmm. all comes back around sometimes i feel like in netflix if you're kind of between shows like you're looking for your next thing it, it's easy to become super picky because there's so many great stuff and so you're like oh i heard that was okay i heard that was okay i heard that was okay and sometimes like i clicked on the comiskey i probably only watched 15 minutes of the show and then moved on to something else in my life, which I, so I'll go back, but I love Alan Arkin and, and Michael Douglas is great. And so good one, Rich Jones. We'll have you back, Rich Jones, sometimes if you'll be, uh, if you'll be so amenable. If you'll have me, I'd love to. All right. Once again, Rich Jones is the tax guy. Oh, I could have played the Beatles song, Tax Man. Ah, that's okay. Save it for the next time you're here. Uh, <laughs> SullivanLaw.com is the website. R. Jones at SullivanLaw. Dot com is where you can email Rich. Great guy to know, well-connected, sharp. And on top of everything else, he's a Springsteen fan. <laughs> Two, three, four. Thanks for joining us on the Boston Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, the U.S. Postal Service, usps.com slash careers is where you go for information. Uh, and our friends at Adori, A-D-O-R-I. If you like this podcast, by the way, please like it or share it with a friend. And if you'd like your own podcast, go to pod617.com. You could be the next big podcast star. Who knows, kids? Could be fun. On behalf of Rich Jones, thanks again, Rich. You're the man. Thank you. On behalf of Rich Jones, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy the day, everybody. <laughs>
You must be the other guy. Lost forever in the 